G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. Thanks for joining me again for more from Pastor Jeff. In today's message, he's preaching from a particular verse in John chapter 14, where Jesus claims he is the only path to God, God's representative on earth, fully God and fully man, and the only way to be reconciled to the Father. It's a verse you may be very familiar with, but Pastor Jeff hopes this gives you new insight into this scripture. Father, thank you that we're in this place and we could come together and worship and praise your name reminding ourselves and each other that everything that we need is truly found in you, that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And because of that, everything's changed now. The trajectory of our lives has changed. Our thoughts, our passions, our desires, you have come on the inside and renewed us. And we know that our hope is in you. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. What I want to do I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. And there's a verse in John 14 with which most of us are familiar. And I want to walk you through something. I want to need your attention here, though. Uh, While you're turning there, a few years ago, I remember a report coming out of a Dallas newspaper where a group of cheerleaders at a local high school decided that they would add something to their cheerleading uniform. And they added just a little patch here that said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? Okay. it's the same. It's basically the same verse that Stephon Curry wears on the back of his shoe, and that Tim Tebow sometimes will put right here or used to. <laughs> and if you know anything about the story that came out of Dallas, it caused such a ruckus. Man, their parents were fighting. The school board was fighting. People were, and I'm thinking, wow, what has our country come to? You think about the situation in our nation where you've got drugs in school, all-time high, violence, gang violence, teenage pregnancy more than ever before. You've got addictions to pornography by young men that's absolutely destroying their lives, uh, encouraging them to convent, uh, uh, commit rather crimes that are not only criminal, but they're, they're, they're acts of violence against women. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, there could be a lot worse things you could write on your cheerleading thing than I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I have to ask as a pastor, when I see things and continue to read stories like that, I have to wonder, 
what is it about Jesus that takes people off? <laughs> I mean, you go through the scripture, the historical Jesus about whom we read, we read things like in John 8, where he meets a, a woman that's been caught in adultery and the religious leaders come and they, the self-righteous ones, throw her down into the dirt basically and say, what are you going to do with her? And, and Jesus said, and, and we don't talk about this often, but the way it's written in the original language, what Jesus actually says is, you who is without this sin, the same sin, you be the first one to cast the stone. And of course, they all leave. And Jesus says, where are those who condemn you? She looks around, they're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So it's not like he's condoning the sin. He just says, look, you've come to a gracious and merciful savior. And this kind of life is destroying you. Go and sin no more. Live the abundant life. You go to Matthew chapter 15, where they meet this Canaanite woman when they're on a little bit of R&R &R up in the northern region by the Sea of Galilee. And they believe this woman, the disciples, have not, get, have not gotten the message of Jesus that all people matter to him. So they, they don't want this woman, who they consider to be at the very bottom of the spiritual barrel, to talk to Jesus. And Jesus takes them through an entire lesson and endeavor that must have taken hours to help them see that God's heart is for everyone. He goes through and he, the lame are starting to walk and the lepers are cleansed and the blind see. The historical Jesus, what is it about him that makes you so mad when a, a few cheerleaders put, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know the answer though, right? We know the answer, don't we? The answer is in John 14, and it's Jesus' claim to exclusivity. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is what ticks people off. Because the highest value in our culture today is tolerance. The, the problem is the way we define tolerance has gone far too far. For instance, I have friends that are Muslim. I have a Hindu friend. I have friends that do not agree with my worldview at all, but we're buddies. Tolerance means that we all hold our worldview and we believe what we believe, but we get along with each other. We don't try to kill each other because you don't believe what I believe. We actually love each other. That's, that's the way it should be. That's what tolerance is. We tolerate each other we may not agree with each other, but we're not trying to harm each other. And we can sit down and have logical conversations and arrive at, at truth statements. The problem with America is that it's, it surpassed that definition of tolerance a long time ago into what we call inclusion. And so now when we talk about tolerance, we define it saying that all philosophies and all religions are equally valid and equally true. So if I start to say to somebody, I don't think your truth statement is an accurate reflection of reality, all of a sudden I'm not tolerant. No, tolerance means that I can disagree with you and still love you and not try to kill you. That's tolerance. But unless we live in one loony bin world, it's impossible for two statements made about the same thing that diametrically oppose each other, it's impossible for those statements to be true. They can both be false, but they both can't be true. It's called the law of non-contradiction. It goes all the way back to Plato and Aristotle and even beyond. If I say to you, my wife is pregnant, and by the way, she's not. If I say to you, my wife is pregnant, and 10 minutes later, I say to you, my wife is not pregnant, those statements, unless they die the death of a thousand qualifications, are diametrically opposed. There's no way they both be true. Either she's pregnant or she's not. They both can't be true. She can't be both pregnant and both not pregnant. And people tend to want to apply this only to religion, that all truths are the same, but not to any other field. They would never apply it to science. 
And the reality is that Jesus did come and he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when you meet people who are inclusive, they come at this, and I use the term ignorant in a, in a good way. You say, well, how do you use ignorant? They call me a moron, but I mean it in a loving way. No, what I'm saying is you just don't have enough information to make the statement that you make because the statement that you hear is all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different. The opposite of that is true. And if you make that statement, if you say that all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different, that shows me that you don't have a working understanding of most religions in the world. Because religions are born out of the rejection of the previous one, from Hinduism to Buddhism to Sikhism, right on down the line. And so you can't have someone come along and say, as the Christians do, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the all-sufficient, all-atoning sacrifice for our sin. And then Islam come along and say, that's blasphemy. Jesus is not, he's absolutely not God in the flesh. Neither is he the son of God. Both of those statements can't be true. Tolerance means that we still love each other and we hang out and play golf. But it doesn't mean that both of our ideas are equally valid or equally true. One represents reality, the other doesn't, or neither represent reality. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. He claimed pre-existence, that he's eternal. Islam would look at that and say, that's blasphemy. Only Allah is eternal. So if you make two statements about the same thing that are diametrically opposed to one another, it's impossible for them to be true. Now, here's the other part of this, and I have a reason why we're doing this. The other part of this is that there's no such thing as a true inclusivist. There's just not. I was debating someone in New Zealand on our radio program one year, and uh, he said to me, look, let's just stop right now. It's very clear that you and I are going to have to agree to disagree. And I said, I'm cool with that. He said, I am an inclusivist and you're not. I said, whoa, wait a minute. You're not an inclusivist. He said, I absolutely am. I said, what do you mean by that? All religions are the same. Fundamentally, I said, they're not. And then I thought, okay. And I gave him the example, Jim Jones, Charles Manson. He thought, and he said, well, well, all but those two. Well, I got 30 more of those just like that. Everyone draws the line somewhere. Everyone. You know, if my religion is that if you don't convert, I'm going to blow you up. Are you going to be tolerant of that religion? It's hard for you to, it's hard for you to answer that, isn't it? It's hard, it's hard to get along with someone who's trying to kill you. So the reality is that yes, Jesus is exclusive because all truth statements are, all of them, every religion, every truth statement excludes that which is contradictory or false. So Jesus comes and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So the real question for the Christian is, on what basis did Jesus make that claim? And does it reflect reality? Now, it's important to me that you hear this. Because at the end of every service, we say, one hope, one life in Christ. And I want you to know that I really do love all people. And I really do believe that the only hope for our world is not some political philosophy or social philosophy or economic philosophy. The only hope for this world is Jesus. He's the only hope for your life. He's the only hope for our community. He's the only hope for the world. And I really believe that, that without him, we are truly not only lost spiritually, but we are lost 
point blank in every area, meaning, purpose, origin, destiny, all of it. And I want to give you three quick areas that I think you need to remember. The first thing is that only Jesus gives you a satisfactory explanation for pain and suffering in your life. Let me contrast two stories. About 30 years ago, there was a busload of missionaries traveling to northern Thailand to go up and deliver aid, food, water, clothing to people who needed it on the border of, I think, what is now Myanmar, Burma, right in that area. And if you know anything about the history of Christian organizations, they are motivated, World Vision, uh, Samaritan's Purse, uh, Christian Children's Fund. You have so many organizations that are motivated because Jesus first loved them, and so they feel like, since Jesus first loved me, I'm to love others. And so they think that you are most like Christ when you are compassionate and when you are generous. So you have these organizations all over the world started from the foundation of the Christians to go and deliver this kind of aid to other people. On the way up, the two buses were hijacked. They were looted, they were burned, and the missionaries inside killed. Not missionaries only from America, but from other countries as well. The American government demanded a response from the Thai government and demanded an investigation concerning who are the culprits, who did this dastardly deed. These missionaries were simply on a rescue mission. Who would commit such an atrocity? No word came back for months and months and months. And then the State Department issued kind of a a warning. We need to know who did this, who's responsible. Why are these so many people dead who are just trying to relieve aid, who are supposed to be protected? Finally, there was a statement released, and I want to read to you a section of it. Here's what they said to the American, to the State Department. Concerning uh, the episode uh, with the missionaries, the karma they had inherited, they were now paying for in this life. Therefore, the looters have nothing to do with it. Okay. You understand what they're saying? They're saying these missionaries obviously did something bad in a previous life, so they deserved what they got, Therefore, the perpetrators will not be held responsible. Because Buddhism is so prevalent in Thailand, and the idea is twofold. Number one, pain is an illusion. Don't you just want to walk up to someone and smack them and say, was that an illusion? (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, but don't you just want to come up and just like that? And they say, why did you hit me? It was an illusion. I never touched you. (laughs) See? And I know it's not that simplistic. I got that. I got that. But, and if you do experience pain, which I don't get, which is an illusion, it's because of something that you did in a previous life. Karma. What goes around comes around. Jesus deals very honestly with pain and suffering in the world. It is not an illusion. It is real. This world is broken. You and I have sinned against God, and as a result, the creation is not fulfilling its original order, its original form, and there's a secondary subsequent calling on the creation that we'll get to in a moment. But contrast that story quickly. Contrast that story with the number one requested story out of Reader's Digest. The number one requested story is about Edith Taylor from Walter, Massachusetts, and her story is a powerful one. She wanted to be married. She fell in love with the love of her life, her soulmate. 
They spent years together. They had a son together. Her life was going so well. World War II occurs. Her husband is shipped to Japan. At first, he sent letters and photos all the time, as best he could. Snail mail. Remember, we don't have email and those things back then. And then one day, suddenly, the letters stopped coming. No response, no report. Her eight-year-old son was devastated. What's happened to daddy? She thought maybe daddy's been killed. And then finally, after weeks and weeks and then months and months, and I'm shortening the story, I'm trying to discover what happened to dad, a letter came in the mail, and here's what the letter said. In the beginning, it said this. Dear Edith, no matter how I say this to you, it's going to break your heart. I have fallen in love with a young Japanese woman, and I will not be returning home after the war. The article talks about how Edith's heart was shattered and broken, and she didn't know whether she should tell her eight-year-old son or not. She didn't want her son to, to have bad feelings for the father, but at the same time, she didn't know how long she could hide it. So finally, one day, she goes according to the article, and she tells her son, son, I need you to know that your father's not coming home. He's got a new wife and starting a new family. The son's response in the article was amazing. He said, mommy, just because daddy doesn't love us, does it mean we don't love him? And Edith struggled with that, but she sent a letter back to her ex-husband in the life of a betrayed love. And she said, your son would like to know his father and doesn't want to lose touch with you. So would you continue to write letters and send photos? So the years go by, he's sending letters and photos of his new family the wife and now two daughters. And Edith said, every time I received a photo or a letter, it just broke my heart. And then one day in a cruel twist, she receives a letter in the mail. And the letter says, dear Edith, I know it's been quite some time since my last letter. I've contracted cancer and I've only have weeks, maybe, maybe months to live. And I'm wondering if I could ask you for a favor. I don't have a lot of financial means, but if I can raise just enough money to get my daughters and my wife on a plane and send them to New York, would you meet them and take them into your home and rescue them and help them get on their own two feet? In the article, you discover that Edith doesn't have a lot of money and means herself, but she did it. She took a betrayed love and two daughters into her home, supported them, fed them, and helped them get on their own two feet to survive, and they did. And at the end of the article, there's a quote from Edith, and she says this, in that dark, dreary, hellish situation, I thank God for the ray of light and hope to share some of the love of Christ in this very dismal setting. She was a Christ follower. Do you know what the message is from Jesus? And it's why he is our only hope. As he says, pain is not an illusion. And when you suffer, it's not because of something you did in a previous life. You and I live in a broken, fallen world. People are not going to call you back. People are going to say bad things about you. It's going to be tough to make a living. There's thorns and thistles in your life as you try to grow and prosper. But Jesus says, I'll tell you this. I am able to take any disadvantage, turn it into an advantage, and use it for the glory of God. Now, some of you in the room think, you know, that's a little too simplistic for me. Well, let me finish. If God is real, then you would have to assume that God is smarter than you are. 
You would also have to assume that he's not limited by time or space, therefore would have foreknowledge of every coming event. You would also have to admit that he knows how to use every event of life to achieve his ultimate objective and goal. I had an Australian that I'm debating right now in a friendly debate over to email because he's listening to our radio show down there and he's just so angry with me because I believe in God and he just keeps sending me these nasty emails. And I always respond with gentleness, but he keeps saying, your God did a horrible job creating this world. And of course, I get him into discussions about, wait a minute, you don't believe in God. How can you be mad at somebody that doesn't exist? And so we go on and on talking, but his, the, the fallacy in his statement is the only way you can say God did a poor job is if you know God's ultimate objective. What if God's ultimate objective is to give you just enough good stuff to let you know he's here and to compel you, but enough bad stuff to make sure you don't put your faith and trust in this world because it's in decay? Well, it depends on what his objective is. You just have to admit that you don't know what it is. But what Jesus does tell you is that he's able to take all the chaos of your life and bring beauty, pattern, and design to it. No matter what's happening in your life right now, he can do amazing things with it. Now, for me in my life, that has been the sustaining truth for me all of my life. You, you, some of you look at me and you think I've had an easy life. You have no idea of my life. You just have no idea of some of the stuff that I've gone through and still am. But I can tell you that story of Job, the reason I mention it all the time is because it has sustained me for a long time. Everything's happened to Job. He's lost everything. His family, his sons, his daughters, his cattle, his ranch, his property, his own physical flesh. He's a deterioration. And he cries out to God and he says, God, if you would just, if I could just understand pain and suffering exhaustively, if I could just understand why you're allowing this to happen to me, then I'll be able to deal with it. And finally, God interrupts him and says, whoa, Job, there's a thousand things that happen every day in your life that you don't fully understand that you readily accept. You've never been to the depths of the ocean. You don't know how I have you don't know how the creatures that I've made in my creativity survive down there. You don't, you've never been to the depths of the constellations. You do realize that as wise as science is, and you've heard me say I'm not an enemy to science. I think the more we learn scientifically, the more we learn about God. But you do realize that we only understand about 4% of the entire universe. You do realize that, right? There's so much more, so much beyond us. And so God says to Job, Job, there's a thousand things you don't understand. The constellations, the oceans, the depths of the ocean. You don't understand even how the sun rises and sets. You know that it does, but you don't know everything about it. You don't know every detail about how a beast gives birth to her young in the wilderness. And he says, Job, your pain is no different. There's a point at which we're finite. He's infinite. And the promise that we give is that when we go through chaotic times, that there's a prevailing presence, maybe not an exhaustive understanding, but a prevailing presence that God will give to us to enable us not only to go through it, but he reveals himself and who he truly is during those moments. That's why at the end of the book of Job, what does Job say? You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. There's a point at which 
we're finite, he's infinite. And the promise that we give is that when we go through chaotic times, that there's a prevailing presence that God will give to us to enable us not only to go through it, but he reveals himself and who he truly is during those moments. And sometimes it's those chaotic moments that will save my life. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me wanna dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will break this offering You are my wonder You bring the wonder Today 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 with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.